Hi, I'm Dave Swordlick from Uptown Podcast Studios and Story Cub Video Picture Books. But most importantly, a proud member of Ed North, an EdTech meetup group located in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. All you have to do to learn more is head on over to ednorth.org. Again, ednorth.org. Great special guest and a huge success story, Matt Hardy from Kid Blog. That's all you need to know. The interview's coming up. Let's get into the show. It, it really is a great story. It's Matt Hardy from Kid Blog on the Ed North Ed Tech Podcast. So, uh, as far as ed tech startups go, I think one of the most successful ones that I know in recent history here in the Twin Cities has to be Kid Blog. Matt Hardy, the founder and CEO, is with us, and thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks for the invite. Uh, so, tell us a little bit about Kid Blog. What, what for someone who has never heard of it? What is Kid Blog? Sure. KidBlog is safe student publishing for students in grades K through 12. So we provide the platform. Teachers create a safe, moderated online publishing space for their students, and the students do the writing, and they build a portfolio of their learning, thoughts, conversations, projects, artwork um, over the years, and they're able to package that up in a in a portfolio that they've got uh, documenting that journey. Do you have to get written permission? You know, when you, when there's a minor involved, sure. Is there uh, some kind of that? Yeah, that's something? an important question. Um, that's under the heading of like COPPA is the, the acronym COPA, for the, that. The, yeah, the Children's Co- Online Protection Act. Sure. Right, right. Um, the the slightly longer answer is that. That permission is delegated to teachers and the schools, and we don't provide the service directly for sign-up by the students. So they use it, but they use it in the context of a classroom where the, the district has provisioned that, and we'll sign contracts with districts kind of outlying um, that we adhere to their policies and things like that. So it's up to them, really, to get the permission. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of administrative um uh, overhead in some ways that goes along with the ed tech or I should say the education market, but that's that's the market we serve, so we we deal with it uh, cheerfully. So it's an awesome idea. How'd you come up with it? I was a classroom teacher and needed it. <laughs> um, attended the local ties tech conference here in Minneapolis, which has now changed its name to uh, Sourcewell, I believe. Half the sessions that that year that I attended uh, had the word. You know, blog in the title, get writing with your students. It's an authentic way of getting them to actually use all the skills that you're teaching them in the writing classroom. Um, and I said, I'm sold. Went back to the classroom, and there were no services built for me as a teacher of a group of 20 to 30 students. And my undergrad degree was actually in computer science, so I had some experiences in programming and uh, software engineering. and. Uh, at the time, took the latest version of WordPress and hacked on it until it fit my needs as a classroom teacher. Got the appropriate approval per your original comment from the uh, principal and the district and um, was using it just for me and my students and their parents. And if that was all that we got out of it, that was a win. And it turned out 
that when I shared what we were doing with other educators, they said, how do I sign up? And that's the genesis. So you know what you wanted. Mm -hmm. You went out searching for it and didn't find it. Were you surprised? I was shocked. Yeah. And the, again, maybe you're, uh, some foreshadowing in your original question, a lot of the solutions that teachers were using to achieve this goal of publishing with their students were centered around skirting terms of service for services like Blogger and WordPress.com, you know, these generic platforms that said kids can't really sign up for accounts, but go ahead and do it anyway. And I knew that was something I didn't or couldn't do. So decided to build a platform that was, um, controlled by me as the teacher, got the requisite permission from the parents as the educator in the classroom, as well as the developer, I guess, at that point. And um, that it far exceeded my expectations for how engaging that would be for the students. So uh, I spoke with Eric Nelson earlier, and, and Eric was a, a former teacher yeah. and made the jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what point did you make the jump where you said, you know what, I, I'm a teacher, I've got a good job, mm-hmm. I've got, it's everything's nice probably work i'm guessing you're working on this a little bit on the side I, right. and you got your school involved which was what a great test mm-hmm. uh at what point did you um take make the that leap de- take yeah <laughs> make that make that decision to to because you're i'm guessing i'm sure you you, you had a solid gig sure and you know you benefits all that stuff right <laughs> right um I had been teaching for eight years and had been kid blog as a thing uh, had overlapped the last what turned out to be the last two years of my teaching uh, career there in uh, 2010 through 11, 12, those academic years. And like you said, working on it on the side, um, I would my first duty was to my students and my employer in my classroom. Sure. Yeah. Um, but when I would go home, I would uh, hack on kid blog code. And, uh, I would make sure that those lessons were ready to go. And, um, kid blog ended up being something that could amplify the products that students were, uh, creating in school every day. It was amazing. Actually, even as the teacher who had been doing this for eight years, I didn't fully appreciate how much my students were doing until they actually started to document it in a kind of this portfolio type format that was actually accessible, not just a traditional e-portfolio that schools had often implemented, you know, in the, in the early days of some of the computer revolution, so to speak, where it was just a folder, you know, you've got word documents that are just stashed away on a, on a hard drive somewhere. This was living, breathing content and conversations. And, um, frankly, I was impressed with myself (laughs) and of course, more so my students at what they could do and what they could show that they could do. I can imagine, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a great tool to use at uh, parent teacher conferences. Oh, it was huge. And, um, it was, you know, in some ways, literally the digital, uh, improvement over the manila folder where you'd stash three or four samples of the student's best work over the course of a semester. Um, and it turned out that that, heavily curated uh, file folder of the best that the student could do is actually not a very good representation of what it was like to be in that classroom, be that student, be it, be that teacher throughout the semester in the school year. And so the fact that we could document that, hey, learning is messy and not everything that a student publishes has to be perfect. And you can actually see them go from writing 
two sentences with no capital letters or periods or punctuation, and uh, all of a sudden they're writing 17-paragraph responses to the book they're reading, you know, within the course of six months. It's it's a real, uh, it was a real treat. I, I don't know why, but I just picture a parent saying, how much to, uh, you know, get rid of that one, you know, or something. <laughs> right. Can we yeah. edit away some Can you, of the, you know the what, messiness? the punctuation is, is horrible, yeah. and I, you know what, so I, I don't want any <laughs> potential uh, college recruiter or somebody to look at this or something, yeah. you know. Biggest reason students... Uh, this is my theory anyway, that they don't use or care about that stuff is because they don't actually believe anybody's reading what they write. And so the act of publishing online, um, blogging being the vehicle that we kind of harnessed, is really as simple as saying, if you're going to write something, it should be for a reader. And as soon as you realize that there's a reader on the other end of this writing assignment, whatever it may be, all of a sudden you start to care that it is well presented to them because it reflects on you and it makes it more enjoyable for them. And so that simple balanced equation is, is a big part of it. So uh, how did you transition from just using it at your school, which was right? Um, I had a, I had a colleague that saw what we were doing and was interested and wanted to kind of gotcha. do it too. So I helped facilitate that setup for them. A lot of that was still manual at that time. Um, I wanted to be very careful not to treat my classroom as a laboratory for we're going to, we're going to do these writing assignments either way. And this is just the vehicle that we're going to use to do it. Um, and so it worked out really well. Um, I ended up going back to the same conference that inspired me the previous year to speak about my year's journey toward achieving the goals that I was inspired to. And again, uh, what the conference? It was called, it was called ties. It's a T I E S. Uh, they've since renamed They've gone through some changes in the last year or two, and now they're called Sourcewell. Um, So I think they still hold the conference in downtown Minneapolis every December. Went back and said, I attended a session about blogging with students last year. I'm going to present a session about blogging with students this year. Wow. And um, kind of showed what we were doing. And not surprisingly, at the end of it, teachers were coming up to me saying, how do I sign up for this? And anticipating that hopefully that question would be asked, I had created a public... Uh, kidblog.org, the public website that you could go to, sign up, create your own class space, and um, we started getting signups from from that day forward. How did you go from local to national? Um, at the beginning, it was just word of mouth. Uh, there were some tweets, blog posts. Teachers kind of heard it through the grapevine and and started signing up and saying, "Hey, I think this is something we should be." <laughs> talking about or, or looking at as an educator or community. And um, like a lot of things, there's sort of this viral organic growth that happened. Um, and it turned back to your previous question, which I don't really think I answered fully, which is when did I decide to take the leap? It was when I didn't just have a full-time job and a side project. It's that I had two full-time jobs or more. Yes, right. And I had to pick one and decided that I was going to, I had been getting enough feedback from folks like we're, hearing from and meeting today at events like this during startup week. And this was back in 2011, 12, that this was, this was something that had real potential and it was worth pursuing if, if I wanted to. And so I decided that I wanted to try it and, um, ended up securing a little bit of VC funding out in the Valley and locally here. Been at it since 2012 full time. That's awesome. Uh, can, we, can we talk briefly about the, the funding? Sure. Uh, was it, uh, 
did did anyone approach you? Did you approach someone? Uh, how did you how did you find these people? You don't have to mention them. I'm just sure. curious in general how we got a little bit of uh, public or pu- publicity by presenting at other events, local startup showcases, and things like that. An early one was hosted at the U of M, which one of the speakers today at the EdTech Track here at Startup Week was uh, Flipgrid. They had just sort of unveiled their product at the time, sort of. So I've sort of. Kid Blog has grown up alongside them and um, had enough, again, validation from some local entrepreneurs, some local investors saying, hey, I think this is good, um, and and started making intros. And so it really was just almost networking in the classic sense. Also, a big catalyst for our initial kind of funding validation was applying for an ed tech specific uh, accelerator in Palo Alto called uh, Imagine K-12, which has now been rolled into uh, Y Combinator. And we got accepted in that program for various reasons, some of which were, uh, well, for various reasons, we didn't end up attending or or joining that accelerator at that time. But some of the people that we just literally met sitting at the cafeteria tables at the AOL offices uh, in Palo Alto were accepted into the program kind of hit it off right away and they started making some intros to some of their investors out in Silicon Valley. And so just by that one interview process, as it were, and and waiting around to (laughs) take the interview, we made some inroads. So in some ways it's extremely serendipitous and lucky and, um, uh, any, any little thing, uh, that could have changed as part of that process would have meant fewer connections made, fewer intros made, but, um, in, you know, the general way of saying it is we just were pretty good at telling our story and yeah. people, it resonated with people. So, so prior to getting your funding, were you monetizing? No. And wow. it's my one, I don't want to say regret because it's, uh, at the time, the timing and the platform we were using, it wasn't necessarily, necessarily, um, a given that we should have charged our customers at that time. Um, we were kind of under the free forever mantra, you know, which wasn't, Eventually, true. Um, Everyone is free, and then <laughs> added features or something down the road is hopefully yeah, something like that. Is the is the yeah. So we were going off just our free user adoption, which was pretty pretty uh, exponential. Um, again, I don't even like to really compare the numbers from then and now because it's it's a totally different animal when you're giving something away f- and pretend, free, pretending absolutely. it's free is kind of how I say it. And then, uh, versus having your customer be the actual direct recipient of what you're building. Uh, we're, we're very close to our customers. So it's like the old, the old Facebook mantra, you know, if you're not the customer, you're the product. Sure. Our, our users and teachers have never been our product. They are truly our customers. We sell it to individual teachers for $54 a year for any number of class sections they teach, whether it's elementary school or high school. And then, um, uh, or we sell to school districts for $3 per student per year. That price point seems to be kind of in the sweet spot for us where we've got customers that see the value and they gladly pay it. Some of them wish it was free. Budget constraints get in the way. Not everybody pays for it right away, which is, again, not to reference the talk we saw too heavily here, but the, the Flipgrid story about how they went to a paid model and then they started giving it away for free and um, Microsoft swooped in and, and gobbled them up when some of that exponential growth took off. We've, we've sort of been on both sides of that as well. And at the at the moment, we enjoy building a profitable business. And I think there's, <clears throat> excuse me, I think there's different levers we can pull to kind of revamp some of that growth. But it has been very satisfying to finally get to a point where we feel like we've got the the formula down of 
what it costs to run the business and what it costs uh, our customers to support the business. You were first. Any competition? Anybody pop up? Uh, you know, said, uh, "Wow, look at these guys are doing." <laughs> um, we were not actually first. You weren't. Um, okay. There was a. There was you is a company. You just didn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I should say I didn't find anything that. I thought was good enough. Okay. Oh, so we were the first good. one that I yeah. think was good enough to right. use in the classroom. Okay. There's another company that has an EDU in the name that um, serves schools, but they've actually turned now into more of a WordPress consulting shop. There's, um, there's, is there a kid blog plugin for WordPress? <laughs> no. Um, no. <laughs> we used to say that the, in, the first version of KidBlog, which we've since re-architected and built out our totally from scratch. The first version of KidBlog was in some ways a very sophisticated plugin on top of WordPress. We think of that as just not reinventing the wheel when you're first getting out of, off the ground to sure. test the idea, see if it would work. And um, once we started fighting more from WordPress than we were getting from it, we decided to re-architect and um, build it from the ground up on our own tech stack. And um, that's actually when we flipped from free to a paid model. We said we were getting a lot for free from WordPress. We've just invested heavily in um, our the next version of this, taking everything we've learned and uh, improved on it to the release this kind of next generation version of KidBlog, and that's when we started charging. So you use some of this venture capital to be able to create... That's right. Uh, create this standalone product that wasn't attached to, to WordPress or wasn't, a, right. you know, attached to, to whatever. Uh, it wasn't bundled in an LMS or something like that, right, right, uh, standalone. What do you consider a user? Is it a student or a teacher? We think of it in terms of students... They're our core user. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Teachers and schools are our customers, and some of those some of those numbers are confidential. But the one top line me measure that we are very proud of is that we're currently serving millions of student portfolios wow. of student authors over the years. Some of those are, um, like you were just saying, you have a, a child that graduated from high school. We continue to have that portfolio accessible and available. Um, even after you graduate, in, essentially in perpetuity. And then we've got uh, other active portfolios that are be added, being added to as we speak. So even though the, 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 the child using it is no longer using it, you are still storing the content. They're is still in control of it. They still own it. It's still their account. Um, but and, and to some extent, it may not even be visible to anybody but them because of the pr privacy and permission right. uh, restrictions we have on things. But um, that that portfolio does not go up in smoke the day they graduate from high school. Is there a cost for you to hold on to that information, or is it the school that holds on to the information? S Again, schools and to some extent the the authors, the original author themselves, even the parents have a role to play in sort of what the, what's the archival nature of that content. Um, I personally think it's a tragedy that schools will often delete entire swaths of student data out of Google Drive or different things after. We need the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that so the answer to your question is it is not expensive to store the the textual data um, that students have authored over the course of. Uh, up to 10 years now um so we preserve it and we that's one way we sort of honor the creative efforts of those students under the guidance of those teachers so how, how many years are you in now um doing this went full-time in 2012 the first kid blog posts were created back in 2009 okay so you've kind of got this down right you kind of have this down but 
um, there's always something, you know, I'm sure your mind is always spinning with something and, right. and, and you tell you have to test it. Does it work? Does it, you know, what? Right. It, it was a good idea. It was a horrible <laughs> idea, but are you constantly trying different things out? Definitely. There's still a fee- list of features, uh, as long as my leg that we want to implement. Um, so we have high standards as to what we will put in and what we won't. A lot of that's driven by user feedback, not even around the specific feature they may ask for, but the intent behind it. And so we can find ways to achieve these same goals, even if the uh, if it's achieved in a slightly different way. Again, on the theme of trying not to be, we're, we're a standalone student publishing tool, so we're not trying to be a grade book, a seating chart, an attendance taker. You know, we're not trying to steal the the LMS's market away from the Schoology's or the uh, power schools of the world. Uh, even even something like Google Classroom is surprisingly complementary to what we're doing at KidBlog. Has anyone approached you to say, "Hey, we want to integrate you within"? Our platform? We've done it kind of the other direction. We've said, hey, Google has just released, you know, this was a year or two ago, Google's released this tool called Google Classroom, and it's it's good, and we think it complements, and we think it it's a good way to actually achieve some of the grading and assignment submission goals that teachers have for stuff that kids are creating in KidBlog. So we integrated. We don't need to ask them for permission. We just use their API. And so we, we, nice. we integrate there. This year we... Finally, because I think they've in some ways really gotten, uh, really taken a lead in this regard, we integrated with Microsoft. So you have a Microsoft account of any kind, whether it's through your school or one of the legacy Microsoft domains. Um, uh, for example, Hotmail is even one that's technically a Microsoft uh, account. Uh, you can log in with Microsoft, kind of the click of a button, you know, lo- authenticate over there. There's the, You manage that password and that account over there, and you give Kiblog uh, permission to use that as an authentication method. So I think Microsoft has actually done, we heard a little bit about Chromebooks earlier today at one of the sessions, and I think Microsoft has done more in the last year or two than even Apple or Google um, in terms of really addressing the needs and the the added aligning their products with the attitudes and experiences of teachers in the past microsoft just thought we're microsoft we can give them whatever we make and they'll be happy or not and we don't care now they're finally starting to listen to teachers and the the features that they've released and they've uh, approached us this year to ask us to integrate with some of these tools wow that's is, that's got to be thrilling i mean they're they're coming to you yeah and it's a good example of if we integrate with them and they notice that hey They've got a bunch of people logging into this thing called KidBlog with a Microsoft <laughs> account. Yeah, and, and, and they said, "Hey, let's let's kind of cultivate this partnership." Wow, open source. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, when tablets not changed subject, when you know Apple really pushed tablets into the schools, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they they own they own the hardware side. I mean, big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, until one day, uh, my daughter came. Was, yeah, they're giving everybody Chromebooks. Right. And I'm thinking the price wise, you know, oh jeez. Yeah, the Chromebooks are about obviously from Google are about half the price of an iPad and now Microsoft has their Surface uh, which may be the best of both worlds with the kind of the uh, the keyboard the keyboard, the, the keyboard but also the tablet factor right. so uh, I just think both from a hardware standpoint and uh, now that they've kind of finally achieved parity or maybe even improved on uh, their uh, web view, web versions of things like Microsoft Word Excel to rival or be better than even Google Docs and, and Sheets. Um, I think Microsoft is really going to start reclaiming a lot of that market share. Yeah, nice. Well, and Apple's pretty much a closed platform. Is there a, uh, an, an Apple API that you can just uh, jump into, or you got to go through a couple hurdles? Um, we used to have an app in the App Store. There was a little bit of hurdle with that, and it wasn't a huge deal. Um, but 
once we moved to our new platform, we built it for responsive mobile devices. So we're completely device agnostic. So if you got an iPad and you open up Safari, you can get to KidBlog and use it just like anybody else on any other device. Maybe a slightly different, you know, rendering experience on, the, on a smaller form factor. But the reality is, an iPad is basically a small. Uh, monitor <laughs> in yeah. your hands and so it really is a desktop experience and I think even the latest there was some fanfare about this at the last uh, very recent iOS or uh, Apple developer conference where they they acknowledge that iPad iPads themselves now report themselves as a desktop browser ah. and so it's not even you don't even feel like you're uh, using a just a large iPhone, you're using a desktop computer in your hands. Yeah, because it, it can recreate Safari. If you have if you use Safari on a computer and you have Safari now all of a sudden you have a dock. Exactly. Yeah. So you have a dock built in and it's a you can you know it sounds like just like Kidblog, you can doesn't matter where you log in, whatever, uh, you can pick up where you left off. That's right. So which is that's awesome. Yeah. So how many employees uh, do you have? Yeah, we've got a small, nimble agile team of five here in Minneapolis and um, we're proud to you know serve uh, serve those millions of students over the years with a relatively lean team and what about uh, outside of the United States are you working with any schools or teachers yeah we have customers in over 70 countries around the world paying customers um, and uh, so we're proud to be truly have an international footprint and i think some of our users appreciate that too that they're part of this broader global community of authors out there is it all english a kid blog post will display whatever your keyboard will put ah, into it so right. if you have oh, a keyboard right, that right, has right. your characters on them and you type them in that's what we send back the some of the labels on the interface are are in english we've actually gotten feedback that a lot of our international customers prefer that because in some ways they're trying to teach students English alongside their, their native uh, language. I can I can just tell you from personal experience, you ever get lost in China, look for a kid because they <laughs> teach English in, in, nice. in school. Yeah. Uh, and it only happened once yeah. at the train station in Guangzhou. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other It's story. a different podcast. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. But but they are teaching English, though, and yeah. it is very important to them. Right. It makes perfect sense, I guess, is what, I, is yeah. what I'm really trying to say. And you did it. And it's still and it's still growing. Is any advice for someone who is thinking of taking the leap? Mm. Um, well, it helps to have some external validation. Um, just chasing your dreams isn't enough. <laughs> Someone's got to tell you that yeah, this you got something here. Preferably, that would be customers. If it's just outside observers who have built their own businesses and are telling you that 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 they think this could, should can and should be a thing, that's that's good too. I think the there's some current wisdom that says, you know, to the extent you can keep something or, or build as much as possible as a side project without detracting from the commitment you made to whatever current employer you've got, that's that's a good way to make sure that you can build as much as possible and uh, basically have an income <laughs> at the same time before it is generating an income for you. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, if anyone wants to get a hold of you and or just check out what, what Kid Blog is all about... And just to be clear, best way? Uh, kidblog.org is the domain, and okay. you can email info at kidblog.org, and that'll find its way to the right person. Awesome. Matt Hardy, who's a super nice guy, by the way, uh, founder and uh, CEO of Kidblog. And uh, thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks, Dave. One more time, a big clap of hands there for 
Matt Hardy. Congratulations one more time from Kid Blog joining us here on the Ed North Ed Tech Podcast. Now make sure you subscribe. We are available. The Ed North Ed Tech Podcast is available just about everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Stitcher. Seriously, there's a huge list. I don't have it in front of me. So uh, <laughs> check it out on your favorite player uh, and uh, go to ednorth.org. Learn more. And you'll be able to listen uh, there as well. So on behalf of the Ed North Ed Tech Podcast, I'm Dave Swerdlick and looking forward to talking with you soon with another great guest. Have a good one.